here at the bridge, we have uh, a lot of young adults, a lot of young couples. Um, I'm always, when I'm talking to somebody in the neighborhood or in the community, if I'm at the place where I get my hair cut or just wherever I am, I'm always pretty conscious of the fact that when I'm talking about the church that I don't want them to think that, you know, because people have a perception about churches that the only people that go there are the elderly. <laughs> and so, um, and there's a reason for that. We could talk about that in another message, but um, <clears throat> around here, that's not the way it is. And so I, I always tell them, I say, listen, I, I'm the old fogey of the group. <clears throat> No amen required there. Uh, but as couples, as new young Christians, you, you've, you've discovered, it's so neat to see this, you've discovered a personal faith in your life, um, uh, set, began to set priorities uh, in your life, and you're moving toward and forward with purpose. But in a lot of cases... And this is just uh, being human, really, um, in a lot of cases. What we leave behind in that whole process, what, what is almost all gone sometimes, and for some of us, is, is passion. Everybody say passion. 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 I looked it up, and just the definition of it is it says a strong, so, so strong and barely controllable Emotion. <laughs> if you could just think about that, a strong and barely controllable emotion. That's, that's, what, that's how passion is described. And for some of you, you're going, yeah, got none. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, yeah, it's easy. It's, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, it's my career, whatever. Passion is the creative force behind all great art. It's behind all great music and, and, and great architecture and great writings. Nothing great is ever accomplished in life without passion. Nothing great is ever sustained in life without passion. <clears throat> passion is what energizes life. Passion makes the impossible Possible Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning and go, hey, you know what? A new day, I'm going to make that happen. With, without passion, life becomes boring. It becomes monotonous. It becomes routine. God created you guys with this emotion in your life, and he wants you to have a passionate life. That's what he wants. Passion is what mobilizes armies to take action. Passion causes explorers to go boldly where no man has gone before. Uh, uh, passion causes scientists to spend all night long for nights on end, uh, hours and hours and hours to try to come up with uh, some cure to a disease, some terrible disease. Uh, it, passion takes a good athlete, athlete uh, Mar uh, Marquise, and and uh, Austin, and, and, and turns him into an incredible athlete. <clears throat> You've got to have passion for your life. And Jesus said, the most important thing in your life is to love God passionately. Now, we've talked about the Great Commission, our Great Commandment around here, until our face is blue. Uh, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our purpose. It's part of what we believe, and we've made it a part of our mission statement. But nothing else matters in life if you don't love God passionately. <clears throat> 
God doesn't, listen, God doesn't want you to love him half-heartedly. <clears throat> he says, I want you to do everything passionately when it comes to loving me, when it comes to serving me, when it comes to living for me. And so today, what I want to talk about, what I want to call as my title is, uh, is awakening your passion for God. Here's what's crazy in America. <clears throat> In America, it's okay to be passionate about anything but God. It's not a politically correct to be passionate about God. I mean, you can be passionate about movies and about sports and about, about politics, about fashion and clothes. You can be passionate about restaurants, and I am. You can be passionate about uh, Apple, the Apple company, and I used to be when they were a little bit more innovative. But uh, uh, I, I went, you can be passionate about YouTube a YouTube TV, uh, Anthony, he turned me onto that, and I'm just like going nuts over it until they got rid of Fox Sports Midwest, and I can't watch my Cardinals. I got to rethink it all. <clears throat> but I can't be passionate, passionate about God. That's a no no. You get labeled for that. But in our culture, it's okay to be passionate about everything except for your faith, everything except for your relationship with God. I can't go to. Are you. You, you can go to a rock concert, you can go to a political rallies, you can go to a baseball game and, and shout your head off and, and lose your mind and you can yell till you lose your voice and, and, and no one thinks a thing about it. When, when my team loses, a grown man can cry and nobody gives it a second thought. <clears throat> when my team wins, I jump up and down and I dance around and I, I wave my hands in the air like, you know, and, and if, I, if I do that at a game, people go, wow, now that, that is a fan. That's a fan. But if I do that at church, people say, that dude's a nutcase. If I, if I shake my hat off at church, my gosh, he's a fanatic. <laughs> Guys will get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, drive hundreds of miles to go hit a little white ball, chase a little white ball around, get back in their car, drive hundreds of miles, come back home, and no one thinks anything about that except for our wives. <clears throat> But that's okay. That, that's not crazy. A lot of times we're like that at first with God, aren't we? When we first become a believer and it's fresh in our hearts and we're just so excited and everything. Oh, my God, he, my sins are forgiven. you got to be kidding me. I know. I know what I've done. I know what I've done. And now I've got a purpose in my life, and now, and now i got a home in heaven, and, and, and I get all excited when I, uh, first God first comes into my life, and I'm pretty passionate about it. <clears throat> and emotion's so strong, it's almost uncontrollable. But as time went on, you begin to lose your steam. You lose your enthusiasm. And why does that happen? And we'll talk about that today. Because, <clears throat> really, guys, the deal hasn't changed. Not to God, anyway. What God did for you hasn't faded. In fact, if anything, it's got better and better and better and better every single day. Because you know why? We still mess up every day. And, and, and when we do, His grace is still passionate for us. And He still wants you to... You know, the deal hasn't changed. He still wants you to love him with all your heart. So I want to talk about some things that, that, that gnaw at our passion, that, 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 that try to 
kill our passion, to try to take away our passion. I want to talk about some of those today, and that's really all I'm going to do. And then we're going to end it with some music. <clears throat> the first one I want to talk about today is an un... Now, some of this is, in fact, I hope all of it is very practical. In fact, we like to speak around here in, in such a way that you can understand how to apply it on Monday. I hope you get that. That's something that's really important because if we're up here talking about stuff that you don't understand, it really doesn't matter. Y'all can leave now. But these are things that we want to be able to speak to you about so that it can help you on Monday, so they can help you on this week, during the week. And so the first one, the first passion killer is un, an unbalanced schedule. You're here today, and you're either overworked or underworked. You, I'll let you all decide that. Um, you're going to, listen to me, either way, you're going to lose your passion for life. Either way, you're going to lose your passion for God. The Bible says there's a season for everything, and you need both rest and work. All right? And so too much of either, was gonna, you're gonna, it's going to cause you to lose your passion. My guess is that here today, more than half of you probably work, need to work less. And the other, <laughs> probably need to work a little more. All right. Um, you can go to the extreme. Psalm chapter 127 says, it's senseless, makes no sense for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest, their proper rest. For some of you, the problem is you're always giving out. You're always helping. You're always serving. You're always, and, and, and some people go, well, that's not a problem. You're always sharing. You're always working. You're always being generous, and you never take time to recharge. If you don't take time to recharge, you eventually get what they call a compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. And that's when you just stop caring altogether. You don't care about God anymore. You don't care about other people anymore. You don't care about anything anymore. Compassion fatigue. The others of you, you're the exact opposite. You're always taking in but never giving out. You go to Bible studies. You, you listen to teachers as they speak and teach and talk. You listen and watch YouTube. You, 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 you go to seminars and, and conferences and you go to Christian concerts and you go to workshops and you go to church all the time. And you're always learning. You're always taking in, but you're not giving anything out. You're not in some kind of a ministry. You're not in some kind of a, you don't have a mission. You're, you're not really helping anybody. This might surprise you just a little bit today, but Bible studies and, and you version devotion after devotion after devotion after devotion after devotion after devotion after devotion devotion without ministry, without ministry, is extremely dangerous. In James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, To him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not is what? Do you realize the more that you know about God's plan for your life, the more uh, responsible that you are to God for that knowledge, 
And the more that you know, if you don't do anything about it, you're simply increasing your own judgment. Because God is going to hold you accountable for what you know. So the Bible tells us that we need both. We need to work and we need to rest. You need balance in your life. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. And how do we do that? One word, balance. Balance. They say to be physically fit. You notice I said they say to be physically fit, you must have a balanced diet. And, and to be spiritually fit, you must have a balance of God's purposes in your life. Does that make sense? He created us. <clears throat> He's given us a purpose. According to the Bible, what those purposes are is you, you, you got to take time to worship God privately and in settings like this that we have here today. You need to take time for fellowship, uh, fellowship with other believers. You need to take time to read God's word and to pray so that you grow uh, spiritually. You need to take time for ministry to serve and, and help other people. You need to take time to share your faith with other people. We tend to gravitate to just one or, or two of God's purposes like, like we, you fellowship and that's all you do. Or, or you come to church and that's all you do. Or you go do both of them and that's all you do. But being out of balance, inevitably, you will lose your passion. It's unhealthy. How come? How come I don't feel as close to God as I used to be? It's because you're out of balance. The next passion killer I want to talk about is unused Talent, unused talent. First Peter chapter four verse ten says, "Each of you has been given or has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts <clears throat> to be used in the service of others. So use your gifts well." Now I want you to notice something there: that God gives you these gifts, and notice something else there: that He gives each one of you. A gift or two or three or many. Okay? So God gives them and each one of you have them. Okay? Each one of you has certain talents, certain abilities, certain personalities, certain gifts. And those gifts are not for your benefit. Those gifts, they're for the benefit of other people. Uh, my gifts are for your benefit and your gifts are for my benefit. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Each one should live his life with the gifts that the Lord has given him. God has gave, given you gifts and abilities and talents. Use them. Use them. The reality is a lot of people think, you know, that they get everything in this one place or whatever. You'll never find a job, by the way, that is 100% fulfilling. You'll never find it because God never meant for you to find 100% fulfillment in your job. Amen? Your life is more than your job. He wants you to have a ministry. Uh, you need a job, but you also need ministry that expresses all of your other gifts that you have. And if you don't use your talents, you'll lose your passion. The next passion killer is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Guys, Few things rob your joy, rob your confidence, rob your, your passion quicker than guilt. 
Guilt is a horrible, horrible feeling because we, we consciously, you know, all of us, we consciously think it's okay. Everybody's doing it. You know, uh, it's, it's no big deal. But subconsciously, uh, it bothers us. Subconsciously, in the back of our mind, guilt pops up and we go, man, ah. Fact check. We can't feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time because guilt robs your passion. It steals it. It takes it away. In Psalm 38, 4 and 6, it says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and I'm brought low. Um, the joy in your life from guilt is just it shut down. It's shut down. And you're trying to keep the passion alive, but guilt keeps shutting you down. And while this is such a horrible thing, guys, you know, I'm going to say something today that is going to turn this one around completely. Because you don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can deal with this thing right now, right now today. As I'm speaking, you can stop this right now because Jesus has already come and done everything that he needs to do for this. <clears throat> In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he, meaning God, can be trusted to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's, guys, that's why Jesus came to begin with. That's the promise that you can rely on to confess all that means. Is you say, you know what, and this is super important. You don't just speak it out of your lips, but it comes from your heart. All right? You confess and you say, you know what, God, I know it's sin. I know it's sin. You're agreeing with him. You're saying, I know it's sin. I agree what I did was wrong. And now I want to live the way you want me to live. And you just ask him to free you from that guilt. Free you from it. I want to stop here just for one moment. I want to stop in this message for one moment. Everybody bow their heads, close their eyes, and I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Sometimes we carry guilt around for years. You, you shouldn't carry guilt around for an hour. The minute that you feel guilt, confess and thank God for his grace and, and for forgiving you. God, I confess. I confess because I need my passion back. I need it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Another passion killer is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Conflict, listen to me, it drains your passion. It drains it right out of you. You, you can get up in the day, have a wonderful day, wonderful breakfast, everything's going good, and have a fight with the spouse, and whoop, it's like, you know, somebody stuck the tire, and poof, all the air is gone. Conflict takes the passion right out of your lives. Your attitude all of a sudden suddenly goes flat. And some of you, you're in a situation at home. You're in a situation at work where there's conflict. I want to share something with you today that's super duper important. Haven't heard anybody say that in a while. This is super important. Hear me today. Those of you that are going through conflict, you decide you it's it's you know we're looking for a lightning bolt we're looking for God to step in here and he does sometimes right but you decide 
You decide because you can't control the other person all the time, but you can control the kind of emotion that you have in the midst of conflict. In conflict, the easy emotions that we typically yield to in natural humanity is emotions like resentment and jealousy and holding on to anger for a long time. In Job chapter 5, verse 2, listen to what it says. Resentment destroys the fool. And jealousy kills the simple. These are, these are passion-killing emotions that we go through. In Job chapter 18, verse 4, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. You, listen to me. Listen to me close. You make the decision when it comes to resentment. You make the decision when it comes to jealousy and holding on to anger. Let it go. Let it go. If, if, if my grandkids were here, Hadley, and they would sing it for you, let it go. Let it go. This is why forgiveness is, so, listen to me, guys, forgiveness is so important. God, God who, who knows us, who, who, who made us, who, who created us, knows that we can't carry resentment. So he says, here's, here's a way to let it go. It's, it's kind of logic. It's just, it's very logical. Resentment that we harbor doesn't hurt the person that we resent. They, they don't even know, and they don't really care that you resent. The, ang the anger and, and the resentment is just hurting us. That's all it's hurting. <clears throat> if you want the passion to be restored in your heart and in your life, you have, listen to me very closely, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. And I know, I know there are people out there that are listening to me, whether in the crowd or online, that are going, let them off the hook? How, how can I do that? You, you're talking about letting them off the hook? Yeah, let them off the hook and put them on God's hook. All right? Put them in God's hands. Turn it over to him. If you don't, listen to me very closely, if you, if you don't, that unforgiveness is going to kill the passion in your life. The resentment is controlling your passion. Listen to me. It's got a hold of your passion, and it's holding it back. In other words, it's got a hold of your life. Resentment. So forgive and let it go. That's how, that's how you resolve conflict in your heart. Okay? Next passion killer. The next one is unsupported, an unsupported lifestyle. Sometimes you lose passion for God because you're not spending time around other people who have a passion for God. You're not around other Christians. You're not getting any fellowship, all right? A common sense check here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, two are better than one. Because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Guys, we, we need each other. We, we, we all fall sometimes. We all stumble at times. And, and so we all need people to help us back up. Can I just say life group here? Can I, can I just say that, man, I enjoyed Thursday night connecting with people. Had a good time 
uh, I learned some things about different, uh, some of our group and just enjoyed it. And then they had a, a, a life group game night last night that I snuck in on a little bit and was watching them play. They're having a good time. Man, guys, don't wait until the crisis comes to jump into a life group. You know what? Uh, get the support system in your life now so that you can keep the passion alive during the crisis, during the, during the issue. Guys, being a leader in, in, in the church for as long as I have, for many years, I've seen both people who continue their passion for God, come what may, doesn't matter, they're just, they're just passionate for God. And then I've seen the other where a lot of people that lose their passion for God. And those, listen to me, every single time those that lose their passion for God, there's this predictable pattern that happens every single time. It, it happens almost every time. The first thing that happens is the person stops coming to church. For the life of me, I can't figure that out. I guess they feel a little guilty, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But that's where our help comes from. We stop coming to church. They draw back from the relationships and being around other believers. And so we often tell ourselves, oh, that's okay. It's summertime, and we're having a good time. It's just, just, it's just this once. It's just gonna happen. And for me, this is something I've done before. Uh, I got this project at work. Crystal's laughing. She knows that's true. <clears throat> or I'll, I'll just I'll just watch on internet today. Sorry guys, I'm, I don't, I'm not coming after you. That's not. I understand we're in the middle of COVID and all that kind of stuff, so I get that. But we can use that as an excuse. I, I've got other things to do, you know. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get back to it when I can. I'll get back into it. But whatever the reason, you stop spending time with people who have a desire, who have a passion for God. And the next thing, listen to me very closely, the next thing that always, always happens is your heart begins to, to grow cold. You start to feel far from God. You start to, you start to feel like God's far from you. Guys, this, what I'm talking about, is inevitable. This is how it happens. For me, I'm just going to admit to you right now, I'm weak. <laughs> I, I need you. I, I, I'll admit I need relationships with other believers to help me grow. <clears throat> In fact, the only reason that I'm, I'm here today, I've grown as a believer, is because I've been around other people who are growing as believers. Um, and I'll just say this, that's how God made all of us. Every single one of us, we need relationships in our life in order to grow, in order to grow. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together. Let's not give up meeting together and let us encourage one another. Another passion killer, won't spend much time on this one, is an unclear purpose unclear purpose Isaiah 49 I've labored to no purpose and I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing guys listen to me passion and purpose they go hand in hand uh, when you have a clear set out purpose that fuels tons of passion when you have a clear purpose but it's got to be listen to me it's got to be God's purposes for your life if you're only, listen to me, if you're only living for yourself, that's a pretty tiny purpose. In fact, 
it's kind of pathetic. I'm, I'm, I'm living for me. You need a cause that's greater than yourself. That gives life significance and gives life meaning. The more that you understand God's purposes for your life, the more you love those purposes and the more passionate you're going to be. Nothing, nothing matters more than living out the purposes that God has put you on this earth for. Nothing. Not fame, not wealth, not success, not pleasure. Nothing can compensate for a life without meaning. An unclear purpose will kill your passion. My final um, passion killer today um, is an undernourished spirit. An undernourished spirit. Guys, you must, listen to me very closely, intentionally, intentionally nourish your spirit. That's why you're here today. Nobody else can do this for you. You, you got to do this. This is you. It's, it, it's on you to worship God every day. It's on you to fellowship with other believers. It's on you to, to read God's word and learn and grow in, in the spirit. It's on you to use your talents to serve others. It's on you to share your faith with other people. If you just choose one of those purposes, you'll be undernourished. It, it's, it's like eating only cupcakes, which sounds pretty good at first. But without all of the fruits and the veggies and the protein, it's unhealthy. And, that, and that's when, listen to me, that's when disease comes into your body. <clears throat> Spiritual health comes from a balanced diet of God's purposes in your life. I said that before. Otherwise, you're going to be out of balance. You're going to be imbalanced. And you're going to lose, listen to me, you'll lose your passion. You'll lose it. You need all of them. The reason you're not passionate about God, if you're not passionate about him today, is that you've forgotten just how passionate God is about you. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 14, listen closely to what he says. You must worship only the Lord, he says, for he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. He's not going, oh yeah, it's another one of my creation, next. (laughs) No, he's passionate about you. The more that you understand how passionate God is about you, the more passionate that you're going to get about God. And when you forget, listen to me very closely, when you forget how much God loves you, you start blowing him off. You start going, ah, forget it. I've got other things I got to do today. There's a good game on TV. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Pastor, how do you know that God is passionate about us? The proof is in the cross. It's in the cross. In fact, you've heard all of you probably of passion plays before. I think they have one that's in Branson. There's one you know, in Arkansas somewhere that we've gone to before. And all that is is it's a drama that depicts the suffering of Jesus Christ. That's passion. They call it the passion play. In Psalm 107, it says, Whosoever, listen listen to the word of God here today. Listen to how it's stated. Whoever is wise, whoever is wise, will remember these things that he did for you. 
and will think about the deep love of the Lord. In other words, guys, it's foolish to not think about how much God loves you. It's wise to remember the passion of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on that cross. And on first, in 1 John chapter 4, it says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, when we read that scripture, we can kind of read right over the word sacrifice because we've read it so many times and not even think about the sacrifice that he's gone through for us, for our sins. But listen to me, even before he ever got on the cross, he went through some unbelievable, enormous amount of pain for you and I. First, they took him through six trials, three Jewish and three Roman. And they kept him up all night long, which meant, by the way, that all six of those trials were illegal because it was a law, both in Roman and Jewish law, that they couldn't have a trial at night. So they were illegal. Not only that, but he went through the whole night with no sleep. And then... They gave him over to the Roman soldiers just, just to make fun of him. They, 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 the soldiers blindfolded Jesus and began to beat on him, and they began to beat on him. He used him as a punching bag. They took sticks while he was blindfolded and hit him on the head, and they'd say, who hit you, Jesus? Who, who hit you as they're smacking him? Along the head. If you're God, tell us who hit you. You know, Jesus could have given them their name, rank, and whatever. He could have given them his father's name. He could have given them his grandfather's name. He could have given them their family tree all the way back to Adam. But he remained quiet. Continuing to mock him. Oh, since you're the king of the Jews, we made you a special crown. Gave him this crown of thorns and plunged it on the top of his head into his skull and began to bleed. And they made fun of him. They, just for fun, just for, just to be mean, they, they plucked out his beard. Shall we stand? I want you to pay close attention here as I further describe the word that we all just pass over, the sacrifice that he made. It says they had him scourged. Scourging is not, guys, it's not just a whipping. A scourge is a whip with nine leather straps on it at the end of, at the end of it. And at the end of each of those straps, nine straps, they would tie in a piece of like sharp bone or some, some like a little, little stones. And, and, and it would just every time that they would whip him and then they'd pull it back, it would tear off the flesh and beat you know, him to the point where it was, he was bruised. And 
every time he was whipped with the scourge, it would leave nine different marks on his back or pulling off of his back. It was such a terrible punishment that men often died because of the loss of blood, just because of the loss of blood from this. In fact, it was Jewish law that, that you couldn't give more than 40 stripes to, to somebody. That, that, would, that would normally, it would kill a man, just that alone, the scourging. So, so there was another law that they had to put in place that if you gave somebody uh, more than 40 lashes with a scourging whip, that that person who gave that lash would have to go through the exact same punishment. That's how serious it took. So they, would, they made sure that they didn't go over 40. In fact, they would always stop at 39 just to make sure that they didn't miscount. And that was the number 39 times 9. The number of marks on Jesus' back before he, before he ever went to the cross. His back was one bloody pulp before he ever went there. That guys, guys, that, that's passion. That's passion. You know why that's passion? Because he didn't have to do that. It was his choice to do this. He could have, he listen to me, guys. He could have stopped it like that. He could have said, you know what, Steve, you're not worth it, buddy. John, you're, you're not worth it. Dan, you're not worth it. But listen to me. He is passionately in love with you. He's passionately in love with you. Then they give him the cross that he's got to carry. And he has to climb this cross up to Golgotha's hill. By the way, that's the cr cross that he carried for us. He carried my cross. But he climbed up that hill suffering from the loss of blood and the lack of sleep, but he stumbled and he fell and, and, and under the cross, and so they grabbed a guy out of, the, out of the crowd by the name of Simon, and he was privileged to be able to carry the cross of Jesus the rest of the way. And they finally get to the top of Golgotha, the top of the hill, and they stretched out his arms and they nailed his hands to the cross. <clears throat> and after they nailed his hands, and by the way, I'm not talking about any tiny nails. I'm talking about spikes that they put into his, in, his, in his hands. And then they took that cross, as you can imagine, that was laying on the ground and they, they brought it over to the hole that they had dug for the thing, the end of it to go in. And as you can just imagine, they had to dig a pretty deep hole in order for that thing to go into it. And as soon as it did, man, and it, you know, hit on his hands like that. All the weight. And when in this position, eventually the muscles around your chest cavity begin to tire and they begin to paralyze. And, and you see, you can breathe, listen, to, you can breathe in, in this position, but you can't breathe out. Death on the cross, guys, it would have just been a simple death by, uh, by uh, suffocation, except the Romans didn't want it to make it that easy. 
So they would take a man's legs and they would bend his knees and then they would nail his feet to the cross. And they did this so that he could stand up on those feet while hanging on the cross. See, he couldn't breathe in, but in order to breathe out, he had to stretch and put pressure on those feet so he could breathe out. And so the pain in his lungs was unbearable. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't breathe anymore, so he'd have to stand up on his feet, which were nailed, of course, to the cross. And he'd get some relief and begin to breathe. And only until the pain in his feet was so enormous that he'd have to let himself and lower himself down again, only then to repeat this whole thing again. So the pain in his lungs was unbearable. He couldn't do it, so he'd have to stand up until the his feet were so much in pain and unbearable that he let himself back down. You see, guys, the death, death on the cross was a very cruel torture. It, it, in some cases, it took days for men to die. It was up and down and up and down and up and down, often for days, extremely, extremely cruel death. And at one point, soldiers came to Jesus and they were they were going to break his legs because if he broke his legs then he could he couldn't stand up anymore and he would suffocate and die but Jesus had already died by that time and so the soldiers they stabbed him in the side and um, when they did this the Bible says that water commingled with uh, blood came out of that cavity and experts know a lot more today than they did back then but they say that the only way blood and water could commingle in that particular cavity would be if the heart would tear or explode and guys it was here in this moment here on the cross that this listen to me closely the sinless lamb of God Jesus took on all of our sin. It was in this moment when all of that transferred onto him and the stress that Jesus was carrying at that moment, his heart literally exploded and broke. He died of a broken heart. Do you know the sin that makes Jesus the one who did all this. That makes Jesus just sick to his stomach. Maybe, maybe the worst sin for Christians, followers of God. It's not adultery. It's not, it's not murder. It's not some sort of sexual perversion or anything like that. God tells us in Revelations 3 that he says it's, it's, it's lukewarmness. It's, it's no passion for God. Oh, God's just one of the things in my life. I have, I have, you know, I have a social life. I have, um, I have a career life. I have a sexual life. I have a family life. And over here, I got this, I got this little part that's a church life. God says, I, I love you. I love you so much. I, I love you passionately. 
I made you, I created you, I planned you, I purposed you, I saved you, have a place in heaven for you. And, and you would treat that, all of that, with half-hearted indifference saying, oh, excuse me, but I got, there's a game on. A little, I, got, I got a little thing. Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold. Lukewarmness makes me sick to my stomach. I, I, I dispute you, I spit you out. That's, that's the word of God, it's not my word. C.S. Lewis said, said it like this, the only thing, listen to me very closely, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Moderately important. If Jesus is God and he died and loved you that much, you owe him the rest of your life, every single extra minute of your life. And if he didn't, then go home and, and live a self-centered life. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It either deserves your entire life or nothing. Guys, I'm hoping, hoping today to awaken your passion for God in your life. Are you lukewarm? Are you, are you just going through the motions? Or are you on fire for God, man? Are you, are, are you on fire because he loves you so passionately? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? I'm preaching today to awaken the passion for God in your life.